0: Good morning to everyone. So it's been a full morning, and uh, I ask your permission, if I could. My tendency, like I think for all of us this time of year, is we get caught up in the hustle and bustle, the rush, the busyness, and that's even true for me on a morning like this. I look and I think, God, we had a lot of stuff going on. I feel pressed for time. I need to rush through and get done so that everybody gets out of here on time, and I'm all anxious. <laughs> and so I'm just going to ask your permission to not rush. We're just going to go through this together because it's too good uh, to rush through. Let me ask you this to begin with. How many of you have a nativity scene in your home during Christmas? Got several people. We have one out in the foyer and uh, pretty commonplace in homes in America. Let me ask you this. Uh, whether you have one or not, you probably... Did you already put it up there? That's cheating. Okay. <laughs> Because I want to ask you, and you can see this now, but what are some of the figures that you typically see in a manger, in a nativity scene? Just tell me out loud. We've got a baby Jesus. What else? <laughs> Mary, Joseph, wise men. How many of them? I don't know why. We just made that part up, but there's three there. What else? Shepherd, angel. Okay, so these are pretty commonplaces. It's a very traditional thing for us to have. But I want us to take some time this morning to consider the story of this this scene. Who are these people? We, We listed them, but why are they there? And what does the answers to those questions tell us about who Christ is and why He came? Because every single person that you see in that scene is there for a reason. Not one of them just happened to be walking through and ironically stumbled upon a baby in a manger one day. They were there because God directed them to that place. And what is true in that nativity scene continues to be true today. No one, no one just happens to stumble upon a Savior unless God Himself directs them that place and everyone who comes to jesus has a story and they are there for a reason and if you're here this morning that's true for you you belong in that scene god has led you to a place where you might encounter the savior and each one of us has a story and we need to ask ourselves Why are we here? What does God want us to learn about who Christ is? And what difference should that make in our life? As we look at the Scripture this morning, that's what I want you to have on your mind. Because I think Scripture will give you an answer to those questions. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do ask, as we come to you this morning, uh, I think probably most of us would agree, uh, the busyness of the season causes our heart to beat a little faster, a little more anxious, feel a little more pressed for time, but that's a lie from our enemy who wants to rob us. And so as we come this morning, miraculously in some cases, (laughs) slow us down, gives us a sense of peace in our heart. Clarity in our minds so that we can see the truth that you've revealed that we should not miss. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin in Luke's count uh, of the birth and narrative, and I want to to begin there in chapter 2, verse 1. So if you would, let's look at that together. If you'll begin reading with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the, inhabitant, all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Orinius was governor over Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the censuses, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called. Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now Luke is known for his detail. In fact, in the very beginning of his gospel, he tells Theophilus, the man he writes this account to, he says, it seemed fitting for me as well, having invested every, investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out in consecutive order. Luke is a man of great detail, and it's true of his gospel, and it's true of this passage this morning, because one of the details he gives us that's unique to this gospel is the census that was required by Caesar. Caesar. It's important because it gives us a detail about why this family from Nazareth, late in the pregnancy of this woman, traveled some 80 miles to a small little town of Bethlehem. See, the census actually was common among Caesar during his rule because the reason he would do that was to determine the taxation of the people. So he would do this routinely to maximize the profits to the government. And when Caesar made a decree like this, it was not something that was considered to be optional. You complied, regardless of your circumstances, which is why Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. You see, Joseph was required to go to Bethlehem because this was his ancestral home. Joseph was a descendant of David. And King David was born in Bethlehem. Now... As you might expect in a situation like this, there were a lot of people traveling to go back to that ancestral home. And so there was a lot of traffic and a lot of things happening as people were making their way, and probably not a lot of places to stay. And in Luke's account, we learn, in fact, that when Joseph and Mary get to Bethlehem, they find that there is no more room in the inn. Now, In our minds, as Western culture, when we hear that, we think of a hotel. (laughs) And Joseph walks up to the attendant. The attendant says, Hey, Joe, I'm so sorry. All the rooms are full, but there's a stable out back if you're interested. Now, that's an interesting perspective from what we see, but that's not likely what took place. You see, although there were commercial inns in places like Bethlehem, they were not the places that the Jewish community would necessarily go. They were reserved for the Gentiles. You'll remember from a couple of weeks ago when Jason told us the story of the Good Samaritan. He spoke about the inn, that commercial inn where he took that man that he found on the road and took him to that place where he could stay. It was called an inn. But the word that Luke uses in that account is a Greek word that says padokion. It means literally where strangers stay, a place for strangers. Now Luke is the one who records that parable of the Good Samaritan and he also gives this account here of the birth narrative and uses the word in, but in the original language it's a completely different Greek word. It's the word kataluma, which literally means guest chamber. Now, this is a word that would be typically used to describe the the guest home in a traditional Jewish home. And this actually makes more sense. And here's why. See, the ancient Jewish culture was very hospitable to its own. So if you were Jewish and you were traveling into a Jewish town, you would not go to a commercial inn to stay for the night. You would go into one of the homes of the family who lives in that city. And so what Luke is likely telling us is that all the guest rooms in the homes of this city were taken up because of the census that was being required. Now, Jesus could have been born in a stable out back behind someone's home, but this is not likely either. The reason is is only the wealthy had a stable out back behind their home. More traditionally, the typical Jewish home had two rooms One was kind of on the ground floor. It was the main living area. And then another section of the house, whether on the second floor or an extension of that, would have been sleeping quarters, which usually included a a guest room. In that first floor room, to one side was kind of a sunken area. And there would have been logs put up as a partition. And typically for these Jewish families, what they would do is they all had animals. It was a very agrarian society. And so at night, instead of leaving those animals outside, they would actually bring them in to that first floor of their house back behind that partitioned area inside that main room of their home. That was very common in the Jewish home. And so when Luke tells us that there was no more room in those guest chambers, What he's likely indicating is that Mary and Joseph would have been found in the main room of one of those homes. So if you can imagine sitting in the living room of your home back in the first century Jewish culture, there you are watching TV and across the room on the other side are the animals staring at you, right? (laughs) Of course, they didn't have TV back then, but the animals probably would have stared at you. What they would have been doing is on the other side of that fence area where they were kept, there were feeding troughs. Any guess what those were called? Mangers, that's where they fed the animals. And so that's very likely where you would have found Mary and Joseph. And yes, the manger would have been filled with hay and it would have been a good place for that newborn baby Jesus. It would have been a very humble scene. And one of the few places that you would have been able to see the shepherds find welcome. If you would look at uh, verse 8 of our passage. Luke Luke chapter 2 verse 8. In that same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there is, has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And Suddenly there appeared the, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just As had been told them. As you look at this, it's good to to note that the shepherds were the first on God's invitation list to the baby shower of Jesus. They were the first. Now it's important because from the world's perspective, they would have most definitely been last. The shepherds were considered to be poor uneducated to some they were considered dishonest even and and from a religious perspective unclean and so when the angels appeared they probably had this image carried into this encounter and thought that they were likely there for judgment not for good news but you'll notice what the angels say immediately they calm their fears and they say do not be afraid they tell them That they came with good news of great joy. And then they give the birth announcement of Jesus. But notice what they say to the shepherds in verse 11 For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. For you, the despised, the outcast, the rejected the forsaken, for you a Savior has been born. Then they go on to give more details that would have increasingly put the shepherds at ease. They describe a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes which would have been typical for a peasant family when a child was born, a family like a shepherd's family. And not only that, this child, they said, would be found in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. The Savior would not be found in a mansion or a palace where these shepherds would not be welcome. He would be found in a humble home much like their own. Jesus came for shepherds. They were the first on the list. The lowly. The outcast rejected now granted they were jews but from a jewish perspective they were definitely on the list of the least of these but jesus was a lot like them you may remember in philippians when paul gives his account of jesus he says that he empties himself that literally means he made himself nothing so that those who felt like they had nothing to offer would still Be willing to come. People like the shepherds. A Savior for those who have been rejected by society and yet could find grace and forgiveness in the eyes of God. Maybe that's your story as well. Maybe you're like the shepherds who've been given a label as someone who is unclean. Perhaps you're defined by your past mistakes. And you're considered to be unworthy, undeserving to be in the presence of a king. But we see in this story that Jesus has come for you. God revealed Himself first to the shepherds in order to make it clear that His love has extended to the least of these. Notice how Luke describes their response in verses 16 and 17. He says they came in haste. They they came at once and made known to everyone what they had been told. And then in verse 20, after seeing everything just as the angels described, they went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as the angels had told them. In other words, they were convinced that a Savior had been sent for them, just as the angels had said. The love of Jesus knows no boundary. and Regardless of your story, He still invites you into His presence because a Savior has been born for you. Now we mentioned in our traditional nativity that there are other characters in that scene, aren't there? Let's turn to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 2, to find their story. Matthew chapter 2. If you would begin reading with me in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire them, them of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you've found him, report to me that I may come and worship him. And having heard the, heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over there where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasure, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country in another way. Luke, or Mark, Matthew is not as detailed as Luke is. The description is kind of vague. Magi from the east. But as we read the account, we do have some details about these foreigners from a far-off land. You see, magi in this culture would be like astronomers in ours. These were scientists. And they were very important in this society to ancient kings because they were like advisors They helped bring understanding to difficult situations. And these were the men who arrived on Herod's doorstep. And their inquiry is interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 2 again. It says, "...where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him." Now, if you think about it, if these men are from the east and they saw a star that was in the east, then why did they go west? Right? Well, it's interesting, if you look at the uh, Hebrew of the word east, it's a very common word that's used in that language, and it's intended to describe something that's rising. So, very possible what they're describing is a star that they saw rising. And that makes sense for these astronomers, these scientists, whose job is to recognize abnormalities, and then to somehow describe the reason for their existence. Right? And whether they gained that information from the Hebrew Scripture, or whether they came up with that idea on their own, they determined that it was a sign of a new king. And so very logically, they go to the place, the country, over which they saw the star residing, to the capital city, to the home of the present king, Herod. And they ask him, where can we find this child born king of the Jews? We have some gifts to offer him. This obviously would catch Herod off guard because there is no such child in his home. It's actually kind of humorous if you can imagine this scene, okay? They go up and they ring the doorbell. Herod comes to the door. Can I help you? He probably sees more than three. There's likely an entourage. These are people from a foreign land. They're carrying expensive gifts. They're in dangerous territory. There are likely a lot of people there. So they ask Herod about this child, assuming that since he's the king, it would be in his home. You can imagine kind of shutting the door, Herod shutting the door and saying, hold on just one second. He goes over to his advisors and says, are you guys not telling me something? <laughs> These guys are asking about a newborn baby who will be king, and I don't have any idea what they're talking about. You've got to give me some information here. So the scribes and Pharisees talk to him. But I want you to notice something that's interesting about what Herod has to say in verse 2 you'll notice that the magi are looking for what they say is a king but when herod in verse 4 goes back to talk to his advisors what does he ask about it's not a king is it asks about the christ the messiah where will the christ be born he says You see, the answers from the religious leaders to this question was easy. He he knew that it wasn't a king because he didn't have a child. So it had to be something of greater significance like the Messiah. So he says, tell us about the Messiah. And they say, oh, that's easy. The Scriptures are clear. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah. This would have put Herod on notice because none of those details applied to him. He didn't come from the, the, the lineage of Jacob at all. He's a descendant from Esau. And, and he had no child. So there was no connection between him and the Messiah in the least. So Herod tries to use those visitors to his advantage to get them as spies, essentially, to go find out information. Not so that he could worship him, but so that he could kill him. He was a threat to his rule, and his intent was to eliminate that Messiah. And so the Magi make their way to Bethlehem. And on their way, Matthew says that the star appears before them once again. And I don't know, maybe it was a star, but I wonder at this point if what they didn't see might have been an angel. Because the only way that they're going to find Jesus is if God directs them specifically to the place where He can be found. In that home, among many. In that city, among many. And so they go. And they find in that home, just as the angels had promised, that baby born in the lineage of David. And they offer him the gifts of a king. Gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Isn't it interesting? When you think about that nativity scene, that the very first visitors... Were shepherds, the outcasts, the rejected of their own people. And now Jesus is visited by Gentiles, those who are outside the covenant promise of God's people altogether. At least they were until now. Because they, like us, were those who were outside of those covenant promises of Israel. If you want to, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Because I believe these magi and we have a lot in common. Listen to what Paul says about us in chapter 2, verse 11. Speaking to you and I, Gentiles, he says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time Separate from Christ. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. See, that describes the Magi. And it also describes you and I. But look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. No one comes to Jesus unless God Himself guides them. The Magi were far off. They were from the east. And God brought them near. And we too were far off. When I see the Magi, I see me. I am a Gentile, a foreigner to the promise, Far from God, with no hope in the world. But I, like you, have been brought near. The grace of God has shown me the way to find forgiveness in a Savior who was sent for me. I see my story in the Magi. And if you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, it is your story as well. And so what will you give Him in return? What gifts do you bring? That's what they did. They brought Him gifts. See, I really don't think that the point of the gifts they brought had to do with their value. They simply gave Jesus the best of what they had to offer. After all, they weren't giving Jesus anything that didn't already belong to Him. So the question is not what does Jesus need. The question is what does Jesus deserve? Because they, like us, have only one response to that question. He deserves our worship, our adoration. Those are the gifts that we bring. Because I think the greatest gift we can give Him is is ultimately our trust. Our willingness to bow before Him who we believe to be good and right and true. And to know that He's actually the one who brought the gift for me, right? The gift of eternal life, that gift that I do not possess on my own. Only when I trust in Him can I give to Him what He truly deserves my worship. It's the idea of what Paul says to the Romans when he tells us when we come to Jesus, we should present to Him our life. Everything we say and do, as a living and holy sacrifice. That is our spiritual act of what? Worship. That's our worship. Embracing and believing in what God has done for you is the most important gift you have to offer. Giving yourself to God is that gift that He deserves. Because He's given you the gift of His Son jesus christ as we close up this morning we've talked about the characters that we typically see in that nativity scene but i want us to finish up by considering uh, those that are absent some that we don't see because i think it's curious and you probably agree that those who knew most about the coming of the messiah were the ones who were least interested in in His arrival. Isn't that intriguing? If you'll notice in this scene, you see no religious leaders. No scribes. No Pharisees. No priests. None of those people are gathered around the manger. In fact, the ones who told Herod... Think about this. The ones who told Herod where that child would be born, in the city of Bethlehem, cared not enough to go check it out for themselves. The most well-informed were the most indifferent to the news. And here's why I believe that's the case. You see, Herod and the religious leaders had the most to lose. Herod had power. The religious leaders had comfort. And so Jesus was more of a threat to them than He was a Savior. They had a good thing going, and the coming of this Messiah might change all that. Because remember, the expectation of the Messiah to the first century Jew was one who would come to deliver His people from the rule of the oppressor, in this case, Rome. But for Herod and the religious leaders, Rome has has given them their power and influence. You and I see the Messiah as one who comes to take away sins. But we need to put ourselves back into the first century mind of the average Jew. And they were expecting that the Messiah would in fact come, but to deliver them from the sins of the oppressor, the other guy. This was about their sin, not the sin in my heart. Therefore, I wouldn't have much interest in a doctor if I didn't believe that I had a disease. I would not welcome a ruler if I preferred to be in charge myself. And I wouldn't approach the Messiah if it meant that it would change the comfort of the life I've learned to live. See, none of these people came to Jesus. Their presence is eerily absent from the nativity. And to this day, You will not see people seeking to know Jesus when they pridefully prefer to live life on their own terms. It won't be there. So let me encourage you to take some time this Christmas and to consider the details of the nativity when you see this scene, whether it's in your home or when you walk outside the lobby or some people have them in the front yards during the season, they're all around us and every time you see that, let me encourage you to stop and to pause and to look into that scene. I want you to look and see if you're there. Everyone who comes to Jesus has a story and that includes you. Jesus made Himself nothing so so that those who feel like they have nothing to offer are still willing to come. Jesus isn't impressed with our gifts. He deserves only our worship, our adoration, our very life as a sacrifice of praise. Those who seek Him will find Him. Those who find Him will worship Him. Look at the scene and see if you're there. Thank you, Jesus, for drawing near to us and guiding us to the place where we might find you. And in finding you, be received with grace and forgiveness through faith in the life that you lived, the death that you died, A life that we couldn't live. A death that we should have died. What a gift you have given us. For we find eternal life only through faith in you. Father, help us during this Christmas season. Every time we see that scene. Of all those people gathered around to adore you. That we might see ourselves. And to know that we don't get there unless you guide us. Because of your grace and great love which knows no boundary. Let us adore you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great week.